Thank you. I'm glad uh, you decided to participate with us today in our online and on-site worship celebration. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> Okay, I'm about to tell a story about something that happened in church. It didn't happen in a church where I attended. It didn't happen in Michigan. It didn't happen in any of the states that you're thinking of. It happened, but it did happen in America. And uh, so I'm not going to tell you where. Uh, a few weeks back, an acquaintance reports that uh, they were in, uh, they, they were early for church. That makes them an interesting person to begin with, right? They were early for church. They were listening to a conversation in the pew behind them. Uh, it was more like a rant. Uh, there's a lot of that going around, you know. There was a rant going on in the pew behind them about the government and the economy and just about everything. It cast on and on it went. Sometimes they were agreeing, sometimes they were disagreeing. That they, 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 the solutions and the problems were just, you know, on and on. But here's the interesting part to me. As the worship service was beginning, one of them closed the conversation with this statement. Well, one thing is certain. All our hopes are riding on the midterm elections. Yeah, let's just let that settle. One thing is certain. Are you sure? All our hopes are riding on the midterm elections. Are you sure? See, my first thought was, if your hopes, are, uh, I don't care what, I don't care what your party affiliation is or isn't. If your hopes, all your hopes, rise and fall with the election cycles of any nation, then you'll always be anxious and uneasy. You'll be up and down like the waves of the Saginaw Bay during a bad storm. <laughs> there will be gale warnings in your life. Period. My second thought was, I wonder if the first song that Sunday was Cornerstone. <laughs> My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You mean not midterm elections? Oh, wait, it goes on. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust in Jesus' name. And the chorus, Christ alone cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, Christ is He is Lord, Lord of all. Mm. Oh, well, okay. That's just the introduction. Well, that's not even all the introduction. Life in this world has been filled with disappointments for thousands of years. We're not the first people to face this kind of stuff. Humans have trusted and uh, hoped in all kinds of things and people for as long as history has been around and before history, I'm sure. And so the question is, where do you turn 
when those resources dry up? Where do you turn when the things you've been putting your hope in don't pan out? One of Israel's ancient Israel's prophets, Elijah, struggled with this question. Uh, he was a human being like all of us, and he faced comparable circumstances. His, uh, in Elijah's world, the king was an evil person. He was the worst. Uh, just here, this is the description. The man's name was Ahab. Some of us know that name from a, a book called Moby Dick. Uh, he was the, that was the captain in Moby Dick, and the, the author took the name from this king. Ahab became king of, over Israel and ruled for 22 years in the city of Samaria. Ahab, this is the summary of his reign, Ahab did more evil in the sight of the Lord than all who were before him. That was his resume. He married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ephbaal, uh, the Sidonians. Then he worshipped and bowed down to Baal. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal he had built in Samaria. Um, he also made an Asherah pole. In case you didn't catch it the first time, the author wants to remind you, he did more to anger the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Now, before you go saying, well, that dirty idol-worshiping king. Well, let's talk about this for a moment. Most people don't worship other gods. They don't worship idols because they want to be wicked. They put their trust in other gods or other things because they want their life to work. They want things to go the way, they want things to go smoothly. They believe that what they're doing is going to help them, and they think that it's the best thing. To worship other gods does not necessarily mean to go to their temple, although it did for Ahab, uh, and, and sing songs to them and to worship them. It, it means to put your trust in them or to make them one of, one of your sources of security. And see, now that's the root problem. The, the issue is security. Because deep down inside, as human beings, the, our real problem is not wickedness uh, or even sin, it's insecurity. As human beings, all of us, you and me, and everyone else, all seven billion plus of us, we're fundamentally insecure to the very core of our being. This world is not safe. If you think it is, Where have you been? The fall of the human race, I, 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 this is one of those things I wish that uh, we would emphasize a whole lot more than we ever have, because you know, I'm gonna to try to do it more, more uh, in, in the future. The fall of the human race was not first and foremost a moral fall, but a trust fail. And that led to all kinds of sins and moral failures and catastrophic wickedness. 
bottom line is they chose to put their trust in something or someone other than God, some other source of security, and the outcome was that they separated themselves from God. The sole source of life in the entire cosmos and beyond. Imagine yourself in the Sierra Desert and you're at the oasis. That's the only thing within walking distance forever. It's the only oasis. And you decide, I don't like the water here and the palm trees are getting boring. I'm going for a walk. That's nuts. That's us. We looked at God, the source of life for the entire cosmos, and go, I think I'm going to go for a walk. There's got to be something else. But there's not. When you separate yourself from God, you separate yourself from his total security and his loving provision, and you go out into a desert and a wilderness of scarcity where security becomes a business, where we start selling stuff to each other, literally and figuratively, where we start selling things to each other that we say will make us secure and will take care of that sense of us living in a dangerous place. And we put our trust in anything and everything under the sun that promises to give us a sense of security, only to find out, sometimes too late, that it's not working. It's a mirage. The nature of idol worship is not that you will willfully turn away from the true and living God. It's that you say, I want to add another source of security. Do you remember, the, some of you memorized the Ten Commandments when you were younger. The first commandment says you shall have no other gods before or beside me. God chose that word carefully. Here's the Haynes paraphrase. I don't need any help. I will take care of you all by myself. And if you don't trust me enough, we've got a problem. And that is our problem. Ahab believed in God. He never stopped believing in God. But he had a pretty comprehensive backup plan. It started with him marrying the daughter of the king of another nation. Why did he marry the daughter of the king of another nation? National security. That's the way you make sure the king of another nation isn't going to attack your nation and that he will help you out if somebody else does. You'll marry his daughter. You're his son-in-law. He's not going to let somebody else pick on you. He's not going to pick on you because he doesn't want to upset his daughter. And that led him to worshiping the gods of the other nation, Baal and Ashtoreth. Why? Personal security. He wants to keep things happy at home. Oh, yes, dear, you're right. Your God, Baal, needs a temple. Ask her, well, we should put a bull up to worship her, too. Yes, yes, let's do that. 
Listening to keep you happy. Oh, and it also works for prosperity too, supposedly, because Baal is a god of fertility and flourishing. And at the core of it, the worship of this god was a warped kind of sex cult, complete with temple prostitutes. Weird. And see, when you fling wide the door to anything or anyone that promises you security, you become a slave to whatever it is that you just welcomed. You become a slave to that false god and you create systems that enslave other people. And you introduce all kinds of wickedness and evil in the name of being secure. So, Elijah is in a world with an evil king. And the Lord gave Elijah an unpleasant assignment. In 1 Kings 17, verse 1, Elijah is introduced to us. Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, this is his first assignment, his first introduction. He's from this little, little town out of nowhere. Uh, and he comes up to Ahab and says, As certainly as the Lord God of Israel lives, whom I serve, uh, there will be no dew or rain in the years ahead unless I give the command. Thank you. That is all. I'd say have a nice day, but basically I'm going to tell you, have a try. Day, week, month, year. Two. Ends up being three. See, the Lord kept his promise. The drought came, and then he makes a new promise to Elijah. Uh, in, in the meantime, in, in verse 2, it tells us the Lord tells him, tells Elijah, leave here and travel eastward. Hide out in the Kirith Valley near the Jordan River. Not a bad idea to leave because the king soon realized when it stopped raining at, you know, after a few weeks and the crops are dying and, and the animals and people are starting to get really, really thirsty. Um, we need to find Elijah and make him give us rain. He said there wasn't going to be any more rain until he gave the command, so we got to find him so he makes it rain. So they're looking for Elijah, and God tells him to go hide in this little valley and drink from the stream. I've already told the ravens to bring you food. So he did as the Lord commanded, as the Lord told him. He went and lived in the Kareth Valley near the, near the Jordan River. The ravens would bring him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he would drink from the stream. After a while, the stream dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Well, that's what happens. We, the last few years, we've been doing fairly well with precipitation. I've lived here long enough to have seen some times when you're crossing the bridge at, over the Kalkalan River. It was more like the Kalkalan Creek. Let's say down south. 
seawall things along the side and a little bit of water running down the middle. That's what happens when you don't have precipitation. There's no water to run off. I remember going and standing on the bay and somebody from was visiting that we were standing out here. The kids were playing at the at the little park thing, the playground. Somebody was visiting from Western Michigan. And they're going, where's the water? I say, you see that little glimmer out there on the horizon? Barely? Yeah, that's the water. It used to come all the way up here, but now it's way out there because there's not been enough rain or snow. Not like that right now. That's what happened to Elijah. One morning he wakes up. Imagine what it felt, how Elijah felt the morning he woke up to sounds of silence. After weeks of waking up to the sound of birds and the babbling brook, one day the only sounds he hears, the only sound he hears is whistling wind breathing through the bare branches of the bushes around him. They even cried up too. And the there's nothing in the brook, and there's no birds, they're gone. And he's just there all alone. Now God sent Elijah to that camping spot. God had picked that place for him. God sent the crows with the birds, with the meat and the bread twice a day. And, and this brook was, a, was Elijah's God-appointed resource for his daily bread. But the brook dried up. How do you think Elijah felt? I have a pretty good idea how 21st century humans would react because I've watched us react to things recently. Uh, some would start yelling at God for taking away their broken and, and the crows. Others would get on social media and start ranting about how evil King Ahab was the source of every bad thing that ever happened in the world. And a few would simply sit there and stare at the dried up stream wondering what to do next. So, I'm going to pause for a moment and ask you to think about how's your brook doing this morning? How's your brook? How are your resources? And, and how close are they to becoming backup plans for your trust in God? And his care for you. In this world, As we'll warn you, in this world, your resources will dry up. Even God-appointed resources. Nothing lasts forever. No job, no house, no financial plan, no investment portfolio. Things break down, fall apart, and dry up. 
No person lasts forever, no parent, no friend, no spouse, no child, no mentor, teacher, or colleague. People will fail you. They will break down, fall apart, dry up. Your resources, even your God-appointed resources, will dry up. Where will you turn when your resources dry up? Well, good news, the Lord did not leave Elijah high and dry. Pun intended. Uh, the Lord told him, get up and go to Zarephath in Sidonian territory. Uh, just a quick pop quiz. Does anybody remember where Jezebel was from? She was the daughter of the Sidonian king. Now, here's a, this, is a, this is a real bonus question. Jesus talked about one incident in the life of Elijah. Do you know which one it was? It was him being sent to live with a Sidonian widow. Mm -hmm. It wasn't what happened in chapter 18 where he calls fire down on Mount Carmel. It was the fact that the Lord sent him to a Gentile. The Lord says to him, go to Zarephath in Sidonian territory and live there. I have already told the widow who lives there to provide for you. So he got up and went to Zarephath. When he went to the city gate, there was a widow gathering wood. He called out to her, please give me a cup of water so I can take a drink. As she went to get it, he called out to her, please bring me a piece of bread. She said, as certainly as the Lord your God lives, I have no food except for a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. Right now I'm gathering a couple of sticks for a fire, then I'm going to go home and make one final meal for my son and myself. After we have eaten that, we will die of starvation. And I want you to think about the recipe here. We've got a little bit of water, a little bit of flour, a little bit of olive oil. We're going to bake it, and then we're going to eat it and die. This is not a big spread. And Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. Go and do as you plan, but first make a small cake for me and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be empty and the jug of oil will not run out until the day the Lord makes it rain on the surface of the ground. She went and did as Elijah told her. There was always enough food for Elijah and for her and her family. The jar of flour was never empty, and the jug of oil never ran out, just as the Lord had promised to Elijah. But you may notice something here. This widow does not have to bow down, or pray to, or even believe in Elijah's God. As surely as the Lord, your God. That was her words. 
she didn't have to bow down or pray or even believe in Elijah's God for the Lord to bless her. There was no religious transaction going on here. This was not a, a this for that exchange. There was no bargaining or deal making going on. Just pure, unadulterated grace. God's love and gift to her. Elijah knew and God knew that her belief system was false and was part of the problem for his country, his land. He also knew that it had led her astray and that it was destroying her land and her life. This is what trusting gods who are not gods always does. It tears us apart. Elijah, in the middle of all of his great weakness and needs, is full of the word of God and the spirit of God, which makes him ready, a ready agent of blessing, power, and the love of God. And the God of Israel sees and cares about this broken, despairing widow and her son. Now, how will she know if Elijah had not been obedient and availed? The God of Israel had decreed by his word a specific plan blessed a super vulnerable person who didn't even believe in him. And beyond that, he involved her in his mission. In the worst kind of poverty, he brings her into the story and makes her part of Elijah's solution. She is not a charity case. God makes her a participant in his mission. Just because you can't see how it's going to work out never means God doesn't already have a plan in motion. Elijah wakes up one morning and the brook is dry, the birds are singing, and the bushes are all dried up. And he has no idea where his next meal is coming from. And God says to him, you need to go to Zarephath and the Sidonian territory. I've already told the widow there to take care of you. This is the thing about us. We are surprised when stuff happens. And for some reason, I know, because it might it still do it. I still do it. I'm a preacher and a pastor. And, and I'll stop right there. <laughs> Someday I'm going to play a rather humorous uh, phone message for some of you. Some of you have heard it before. And that's why some of you are laughing. I still find myself thinking that somehow God was taken off guard. And he's surprised like I am. And he has to remind me over and over and over and over again. Yes, you're surprised. I'm not. Yeah, but I'm not surprised. I wasn't caught off guard. 
You woke up this morning and thought, oh no, what are we going to do? I wasn't surprised. And I'm not up here wringing my hands going, oh no, what am I going to do with Mark? It's okay though, because I'm human and he's God. On the very first Sunday, Resurrection Sunday morning, Jesus' disciples were in the same boat. They were saying, as they were walking the road to Emmaus, talking to Jesus, not realizing they were talking to Jesus because, well, actually Jesus had been crucified and buried three days before. Uh, they're talking to him and they said, we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel, but he's crucified and buried three days ago. Implying, so I guess we were wrong. Sometimes I wonder if he doesn't cover his mouth while he chuckles before he answers us. Maybe that's because sometimes I would chuckle. You see, when God is your source, He'll keep surprising you with his creative grace and love. Who would have thought that God would send his prophet to the very Gentile territory who had sent their gods over to Israel to cause problems? <coughs> who would have thought? It's a God. Well, all is well, then it's well. Except that, according to verse 17, after this, the son of the woman who owned the house where Elijah was saying got sick. And it grew into heartbreaking trouble because his illness was so severe he could no longer breathe. And so she comes to Elijah and says, why, prophet, have you come to me to confront me with my sin and kill my son? So Elijah calls for a one-person prayer meeting. He said to her, hand me your son. He took, her, took him from her arms and carried him up to the upper room where he had been staying. And he laid him down on his bed and he called out to the Lord, Oh, Lord my God, are you also bringing disaster on this widow I have stayed with by killing her son? He stretched out over the boy three times and called out to the Lord, Oh, Lord my God, please let this boy's breath return to him. The Lord answered his prayer. The boy's breath returned to him and he lived. Elijah took the boy, brought him down from the upper room to, to the house and handed him to his mother. Uh, Elijah then, see, your son is alive. Like, like it's no big deal. And the woman says to Elijah, now I know that you are a prophet and that the Lord really does speak through you. And when you think you know how your needs will be met, the Lord will do something new to keep you guessing. This Lord said to Isaiah, the same Lord 
sanitizing or forget what's happening about what's happened in the past. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert, be present. I'm about to do something brand new. So where do you turn when your resources dry up? So here's the sermon in a sentence. I want you to remember this. I may know not, I may not know how. But I know who will meet my needs. I may not know how, but I know who will meet my needs. It is so easy for us because that insecurity at the core of who we are, it is so easy for us to draw our comfort and security from our resources. God does provide our needs through these things. But it's so easy for us to start focusing on them instead of him. But those resources will always let us down. Nothing is forever. No person is forever. Only Jesus is forever. How he will meet our needs will always change and surprise us. But we can always know who will meet our needs. You see, whatever or whoever it is we order our lives around in order to make them work, that is our God. Worship is about our security, personal security, family security, community security, national security, whatever security it is we're looking for. Whatever we turn to and attach ourselves to for security, that is who or what we worship. We can worship religious activities. We can worship money. We can worship what other people think of us. We can worship our physical health. We can worship what we look like. We can worship we can worship just about anything. We can worship the outcome of the political elections. But only Jesus is going to deliver and give us true security. Everyone and everything else that promised security is a false god. Everything other than worshiping the one true living God whose name is Jesus is going to enslave us and destroy us. You may not know how it's going to happen, but you can know who will meet your needs. His name is Jesus. Jesus can be your single, unshakable source of security. So I have a couple questions I want you to think about for a few moments and to pray about too. What have you been tempted to add to Jesus to make it through the unexpected and unlikely? That's a long question, I know. So I'm going to repeat it. 
What have you been tempted to add to Jesus to make it through the unexpected and unlikely? It was a long question. I'm going to repeat that again. What have you been tempted to add to Jesus to make it through the unexpected and the unlikely? The unexpected and the unlikely is going to happen. can't prevent them. You can't. And Jesus won't. <clears throat> the least quoted promise of Jesus goes like this. In the world you will have trouble. Cheer, I will overcome the world. So, what have you been tempted to add to Jesus to make it through the unexpected and the unlikely? Another way to look at that is a shorter question, it's a little more direct. What false God has promised you comfort and security? What false God has promised you comfort and security? And I'm not talking about a little statue. about things that aren't quite as obvious. Now, this may take some time in prayer. Spirit-guided self-examination and our surrender uh, don't happen quickly. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, those of you who are here on site, and if even if you did, if you're online, if you raised your hand, I would know uh, that'd be the safest thing to do. Uh, if you're, especially if you're alone in the room, right? Uh, so I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand on this, but how many of us, when I started asking those questions, our first thought was, I have no problem with this. dare say to you, my friends, that the people who are sitting in the pew behind my acquaintance, who said one thing is certain, our only hope, all our hopes, rest on the upcoming midterm elections, would say to you, they have no problems with this. But I'm going to prophesy to you and be an Elijah right now and tell you, they do. If all their hopes rise and fall on an election, they have a false God. 
I don't care if they're Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, or some other political group, even independents like me. Christ alone, not Jesus plus, Christ alone. Must be our cornerstone. So we got to let the Holy Spirit help us dig through pile layers and layers and layers of denial. In fact, the longer we've been in the church and the longer we've been following Jesus, the more likely it is we have multiple layers of denial going on. Kind of reminds me of the way some of our mothers dressed us for winter weather. Where, you know, you couldn't even put your arms down because you had so many layers on. So many layers on, you could wear your big brother's coat and it would still fit because you had you know, six other coats underneath it. Those are like that. We've got to peel back some layers. Spirit guided self examination and self surrender don't happen quickly and they don't happen painlessly. It's not easy. Well, I'm going to ask you to take a moment here now to begin pray where you are as I pray you can make this your prayer begin this process of asking the spirit to peel back these layers to get to this core of the issue where where, where is my security? Where can I get to the place? Where can I get to the place where I can honestly and totally say, it's Jesus, only Jesus. Other things are important, other things are necessary, other things are his tools, but they failed me, and they will. I still have Jesus. That's all I need. Let's pray. Lord, you've examined our hearts. You know everything about us. And you still love us. You know the good, the bad, and the ugly. All the things that we hide, even from ourselves. even the thing where you don't even think about it. You know us. You know us so well. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to the truth about us. Gently, tenderly, graciously help us Cut through the layers of denial that we hide behind. Examine us again. Probe 
probe our thoughts and make us aware of what we find. Jesus test us. Expose our anxieties, our worries, our, our insecurities. Show us if there are any idols in our lives, any things that we've added to you in a effort to be less worried, less insecure, less anxious. Expose any backup plans that we trust along with you, beside you. Loving God, We ask you to fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in Jesus so that we abound in hope by the power of your Holy Spirit. King Jesus, Prince of Peace, give us your peace that surpasses all explanation. <laughs> flood our lives with peace that only you can give but the world can't take away even this world full of trouble and tribulation fill us with peace at all times in every way because our security is focused founded and flows only from you we ask you in your name take us on this journey For those who are online in particular, I want to thank you for connecting with us today. Uh, if you have not already done so, I encourage you to join our uh, Champions of Hope Facebook group using the link that's in the description of uh, the event or the video you're watching. Uh, you'll receive some unique content, have opportunity to uh, connect with others who are infusing people with the hope of Jesus. And now for all of us. Stay alert, stand firm on the trust in Jesus, show courage, be strong, give it all you've got, and love everyone you're, you meet without stopping. A huge door of opportunity for good work is open here in our community and beyond. There may also be mushrooming up your opposition, but that's okay. Jesus is with us. You are sent to make the most of this opportunity. Go with King Jesus and the Holy Spirit's power. Change the world in Jesus' name. You're sent. Go. Cool.